You're listening to the Acts, How the Gospel Changes the World series preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Tonight we'll be in our penultimate lesson in the series that we've been going through in the book of Acts. And I got to say, it's been a very helpful thing for me. And I know I'm grateful for those of you who have been through this whole thing with me, who you've been here at the start and you've gone through all the lessons and I'm grateful for you. I think this has been a time in my life where God has taught me a lot of things. And I'm profoundly grateful that he's given us this record of the early church, that Luke wrote those things down. I think they're so pertinent, um, so essential for us to know as we endeavor to do church like they did. As we endeavor to have a church that glorifies God that represents Christ well, uh, that is the church that God wants us to have and the church that God wants us to be. And and as we look at the book of Acts, we see that church started. And so I'm glad we get to go through it. It feels strange to be nearing the end now, and I almost feel like I want to stop and just start all over again. (laughs) I think maybe I'd do a better job this time or something, I don't know. Nevertheless, here we are, and we're getting toward the end. And it's fitting that as we're entering the end, Luke gives us what I think is like a a summary story that encapsulates the direction and the course that we've been going through in the book of Acts. As you remember in the book of Acts, at the very beginning, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Holy Spirit is given for a very specific purpose. He is to empower believers to be a witness. And so he is a wit, they are to be a witness for him to the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And that is the direction of the book of Acts. We see it begin in Jerusalem and in Judea. And then in Acts chapter 8, it branches out to Samaria. And then in Acts chapter 13, it begins to the uttermost part of the earth, and the gospel is spreading. It's going out like it's supposed to. And not only that, it's going from these different locations, starting in Palestine where it was primarily Jewish, to more Gentile regions. And so the whole purpose of God is being carried out in the book of Acts. And this story, now we find this guy named the Apostle Paul, who is in the uttermost part of the earth. He is in Rome, so far away from Jerusalem where we began. He's in a city that is primarily Gentile, and he begins, we'll see tonight, by giving the message of the gospel to the Jews, and then when they reject it, he moves and gives it to the Gentiles. That, this is the course, this is a summary, an encapsulation of what we've been going through in the book of Acts. So it's a wonderful way that he ends here. I ought to warn you, though, tonight, that as we go through this particular lesson, we'll be broaching a topic that has been very controversial in church history and, and remains to be controversial in the church today. We'll be talking about the question, why are people spiritually deaf and blind? Why are they? Why is it? And this has been debated in the 4th and 5th centuries by men like Augustine and Pelagius. It was debated, um, it was kind of the, the issue seemed to be settled for a while, but then it, again during the Protestant Reformation in the 15th and 16th centuries, it was debated by men like Luther and Erasmus and Calvin and Arminius and, and many other men. And, and again, it remains a, a huge topic today. Now, I want to say that because what I want to tell you is that my goal is not to address a, a topic in general. Okay, this topic comes up, but my goal is to exposit the scripture in front of us. That's what we'll be doing, and so I'm not trying to say this is any kind of comprehensive look at any topic. That's not what it is. If you're interested in it, you should look at many, many other places in scripture and and get a whole view of what the scripture says. Okay, I want you, more than anything else, 
to believe what the Bible says. I don't want you to believe what I say. That is my goal. And so if you believe the Bible says something different than what I believe the Bible says, then I'm happy because you believe what the Bible says. Now, I think you're wrong, but I'm, I'm more happy to have you believing something different than me because you're trying to believe what the Bible says than I am you just taking my word for it and not looking at the Bible. Okay? I think that's a really important thing for us to understand. But this is a controversial subject. And uh, pastor told me this week that he would be gone tonight, and I was, I was wondering whether it was a good idea to even get into this. And when I heard he was gone, I thought, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, and I thought maybe that wasn't the right reaction. But he encouraged me along the path to talk about this. And I think, I think the scripture brings it up here. And so we will get into it. In this passage, Paul reacts to the rejection of the gospel by the Jews. And what he will do, what we'll find him doing, is quoting the book of Isaiah. And that's not all that important. The truth is the book of Isaiah is quoted more times than any other book in the Old Testament other than the book of Psalms. But it is important because we find that it, this same passage is quoted by Jesus, it's quoted by the Apostle John, it's quoted in Paul's letter to the Romans, and it's quoted here in the book of Acts as Paul is speaking it to the Jews. And so it, it's, we see it so often. It must be something important. If it's important to Jesus and John and Paul and Isaiah, it's, it's something that's important to us. Why are pe- people spiritually deaf and blind? Why do they reject the gospel? And what are we to do about it? These are the questions we will consider this evening. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the lesson. Father, we love you, Lord, and we come to you without all the answers. But Lord, we come to you knowing that you have them all, and that you've um, written what we ought to know about you and about your plan in your book, in the Bible. So God, I pray that we would submit our thoughts and our ideas and our um, rationalities to your word this evening. Lord, help us to try and be biblical. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand this difficult question. Uh, and Lord, I pray that it would not just increase our knowledge, but Lord, you'd use our understanding of this to um, motivate us to obey you in the Great Commission, in obedience to your word, in whatever area your spirit works tonight. Lord, I, I do recognize more than anything else tonight that uh, my words mean nothing, that your Holy Spirit must work and your Holy Spirit must speak through your word. And so, God, I pray that that happens this evening. We need you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 28. In a moment, we'll begin reading in verse 22. You remember that at this point, Paul is now a prisoner in Rome. He is staying in a house. So he's on house arrest. He's rented a house. And he's got a Roman guard chained to him at all times. And in verses 17 to 22 we find that Paul calls the Jewish leaders of all the synagogues in Rome to come meet with him. Obviously, Paul can't go to them, and so he says, hey, listen, send out a message, a telegram to all of the synagogues in Rome, probably six, between six and 12 synagogues. Get the, the leaders of those synagogues to come and meet me at a specific time on a specific day because I want to talk to them about something. And so he meets with them, and he just begins this conversation by explaining to them that he He has nothing against Judaism, that he is a Jew, that he loves Jews. In fact, he is here, he is bound because of the hope of Israel. So he wants them to know that he is not on a mission against Judaism. And he says that to them because it is very likely that that's what they've heard about Paul. It is very likely that they believe that Christianity is an affront to Judaism 
instead of uh, a celebration of the fact that the Jewish Messiah has come. And so he wants them to know that he is not against Judaism. He is not here to bash Judaism. He is there because of the hope of Israel. And so they decide that they're going to meet again on a separate day. And so our text tonight, it summarizes and then gives a, a reaction of the Jews and of Paul to that second meeting that they have. And so we'll reading, begin reading starting in verse 22. It says, But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, speaking about Christianity, and there the word sect is heresy, so they, they don't believe it, obviously. They think negative things about it. And it says, We know that everywhere it is spoken against. So the, these leaders say, We want to hear what you have to say. And it's funny, they say, we want to hear, because the word hear is used very often in the next few verses. We want to hear what you have to say about this heresy, this sect, because all we know is that everywhere, in every place, all people speak negatively about it. And so that's their mindset going in. Verse 23 says, And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him. And the word many there is many in comparison to. And so there's many more people here at the second meeting than there was at this in, the initial meeting. Many came to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, and from morning till evening. Here in this verse, we find the recap of Paul's preaching. It's just a very brief summary. He spent at least 12 hours there from morning until evening preaching and teaching and discussing and debating and talking about these two essential components, these two essential things. And that is the kingdom of God and that Jesus is that king, the king of the kingdom of God. That Jesus is the Messiah that was promised. These are the two things he speaks about. He says we find that from the book of Moses which when they talk about what Moses wrote, they're talking about the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, that is the books of the law. Moses wrote those. And so it's from the book of Moses. And there we would see this this redemption story begin. We see the creation. We see the fall. We see the the proto-evangelium, which is the first gospel in Genesis 3.15, that it's promised that someday God would send somebody who would crush the serpent. And then we go on and we find the flood, and we find the inception of the nation of Israel through Abraham. And we find, we go through this whole thing, and eventually it leads, gets to the point where they're in slavery, they're delivered from slavery, they're given all these laws and rules by Moses out in the wilderness, and then they get to the edge of the promised land. And this is the story that he would have talked about with them, but he would have been doing it in a way that shows that, listen, from the very beginning, from that, that fall, God promised that he would send somebody who would crush the serpent's head. He would send a redeemer. He would send a Messiah. And so all of the whole journey, the fact that Israel was born as a nation was so that someday they could bless all nations. He'd go through this whole story and he'd show how Jesus fits in, how the Messiah was promised and that the blessing would go through different people and that all of these festivals They all pointed to Christ and that the law demonstrated that we were not good enough in ourselves, that we needed a a sacrifice. And so they have these sacrifices that show that a sacrifice is necessary, but they're only foreshadows of the main sacrifice that's to come. And so he's showing them through the book of Moses that the Messiah had to come, that something more had to happen. And they knew this because they had the hope of Israel. And then he begins in the prophets. And so he shows them from the prophets. And and obviously I don't know exactly where he went to. I would imagine he goes to Isaiah 53. 
and you'd show the suffering servant, the one who would bear the sins of mankind, the one who was the slain lamb. I think you would go to Isaiah 22, and it speaks about the crucifixion in great detail. And it speaks about the crucifixion almost a thousand years before crucifixion was even a thing, before people were killed by crucifixion. And it talks about raising him up and having all his bones seen and him not having bones broken. I mean, it's amazing the detail of the prophecies. Micah reveals where he would born, be born in Micah 5, chapter 2. That he would be born of a virgin is in Isaiah chapter 7, 14. Uh, the specifics of the Passion Week and betrayal, all of how that would happen. I mean, to the point where he tells the amount of money that Jesus would be betrayed for, the 30 pieces of silver, all of that, it's, it's in the Old Testament. That the Roman guards would cast lots for his garment. It's all there. And so I believe Paul took the time to go through this entire story and show, listen, you're waiting for the hope of Israel. This is the, the man. Jesus is the Messiah, the guy that you're waiting for. Every prophecy, the whole story, it points to Jesus. He is the centerpiece. He is the one. He, and to a Jew who believed the Old Testament so well, they should have believed this. I mean, it, is, it really is so clear. Now, I understand how a Gentile would say, listen, I don't know your God. I don't believe in your Old Testament. And so I don't buy your story. This guy that was crucified on the cross doesn't mean anything to me. But when you're a Jew and you have your holy book promising a Messiah to come and, and showing all of these explicit details of the crucifixion before it happened and then seeing how Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies to a T, it's, it's hard to argue against, isn't it? And so that's what, that's what Paul does here. He gives a recap. Luke gives a recap of Paul's preaching of the kingdom of God and that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised. Verse 24. Here we get the response of the Jews. It says, And some believe the thin things which were spoken, and some believe not. So Paul gives the recap, and now we have the response. The response is very simple. Some believed, some didn't. Verse 25. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. And after that, Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this place and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their Ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and they should be converted, and I should heal them. This is the quotation that Paul gives from Isaiah. And we'll speak a lot more about this verse in, in a few minutes here, but I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, notice that in verse 25, Paul attributes the writing of Isaiah to the Holy Ghost. That is just once again, a confirmation that what we have in the Word of God is the Word of God. He says, well spake Isaiah by the Holy Ghost. And so this is a Word of God. This is, this is not just another book. This is what Isaiah said. Now what Isaiah said was in reference to something that happened in Israel 700 years earlier. And Isaiah was given a task. We'll speak about this a little bit more in a moment. But I want you to notice that Luke spends a lot of time here dealing with 
Paul's response and Paul's reaction to their rejection than he does in his recap or in the response of the Jews. We have one verse in each of those things. We have three verses here. And so what I'm saying is I think Luke is emphasizing this reaction. I think, think that this happens, and this is a long portion here, simply because he wants us to be clear on not just that they did respond with rejection, but why they rejected the gospel, why they were spiritually deaf and blind. That's what he's speaking about. Verse 28 says this, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great reasoning among themselves. Paul declares that the gospel will now be sent to the Gentiles and that the Gentiles will hear it. Now, Paul had made this declaration on a number of occasions. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, verse 14, and in Acts chapter 18, verse 6, he says almost the same thing, that because the Jews rejected the gospel, the gospel would now be sent to the Gentiles. This is important to know because he is not speaking here as a general, like, the gospel will never preach, be preached to the Jews again from now on, from this point on, only Gentiles will ever be able to hear it. I think this is kind of a location-specific thing. You see Paul's pattern throughout the book of Acts that he goes to a place, he preaches the gospel in the synagogue to the Jews, and then when they reject it, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. Why did he do it this way? Well, he did it because if he was to go to the Gentiles first, the Jews would never listen to him. They didn't want secondhand stuff. They wanted to be the ones that, that it was the Jewish Messiah and they're the people of God. And so he went to them because they had first dibs. They were the ones that the Messiah was sent to. And when they reject it, then the gospel is to go to the Gentiles. And so that is what Paul does. And Paul says, from henceforth, I go to the Gentiles. And what he's saying there here is, I think from this point in Rome, I'll be going to the Gentiles. And if I go to another place where Jews hadn't heard, then I would go to Jews first and then go to the Gentiles. But when we look at the world at this time, the gospel had permeated most of the Jewish world. And so there was very few Jews at this point that probably had not heard the gospel. And it is interesting that it's almost like the gospel gets to most of the Jews in the world before the temple is destroyed, only within 10 years of this happening. The temple's destroyed, Jerusalem's destroyed, uh, and then from that point on, Judaism is just a shadow of what it once was. Judaism is, is it's not the same now. And so I think God gave the Jews a chance. With these verses in mind, let's address the question at hand. Why are people spiritually deaf and blind? I thought, you know what? I'm going to start with the Bible Dictionary. What does a Bible dictionary say about spiritual blindness? And it says that spiritual blindness is the inability or the unwillingness to perceive the truth of the gospel. <laughs> and I read that and I was like, what? How is that helpful at all? It is the inability or the unwillingness. Those are completely different things. If I was to get Miles up here and I was to say, hey, Miles, I want you, you know, I'm in a room. I can't see outside. Miles, I want you to go outside. I want you to tell me the color of the sky. Miles is right there, and he's really excited because he finally heard his, his name, and so he looked up for the first time. That's great. Miles, I want you to go outside. I want you to tell me the color of the sky. And Miles came back, and he, he, didn't, he didn't learn the color of the sky. He didn't know anything. He, he didn't listen to me. He didn't obey. Well, this 
This definition is saying he didn't obey either because he is physically blind and it was a ridiculous thing for me to tell him to go see the color of the sky. Or because he was unwilling. He went outside and he said, I'm not looking up. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to tell my dad. what." I mean, you see that the completely different things, unwilling or unable, very different. So I thought, that's okay, spiritual blindness, not very helpful, but maybe spiritual deafness will be more helpful. This is what it said. The condition of being wholly or partly without hearing, it can be used in spiritual terms and is often used to depict spiritual rebellion or spiritual death. (laughs) Spiritual rebellion and spiritual death. I mean, again, very opposite, aren't they? I mean, in one case, if I was to tell Miles to touch his nose, then Miles is in rebellion and says, no, I'm not going to do it. And in the other case, Miles is a dead body on the ground and I'm speaking to a corpse. But very different things, right? He, they're disobeying. For different, he thinks this is hilarious right now. <laughs> and so you get that, that immediately we find, when we look at this definition, now I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun of the, the people that write the Bible definitions. That's not it. They're actually in a tough scenario because the Bible seems to indicate both things at different times. Well, what, what do we do? Well, hopefully we decide that instead of looking to a Bible dictionary, we'll look to the Bible. Um, so that's what we're going to do. Here in Acts 28, verse 26, Paul says, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. Warren Wearsby said that it is one thing to listen and quite something else to hear. And there is a great difference between seeing and perceiving. And I think if you're a wife, you know what he's talking about. There are many times your husband, I mean, he's listening to your words, but there's no perception. There's nothing going on inside. This is what he's saying. He's saying there, there are many times that people can hear a lesson. There, there are people that sit in church all the time. They hear the word of God, but there's nothing going on inside them. There, there, there's no thought process. There's no perception. There's no understanding. It's, it's literally going in one ear and out the other. Did they hear the same message? Yes, they, but they, they didn't get it. They didn't perceive it. Back in Isaiah, oh, sorry, in Acts chapter 28, verse 27, Paul gives kind of a commentary on this statement, and he says, For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now, if we look to that verse only, Paul's commentary here, we would say, well, very clearly there, it's their fault that they have closed their eyes, that they have shut their ears so that they would not understand with their heart and be converted. So it was, it, we stopped there and it's like, oh yeah, okay. So very clearly the reason they can't see is because they are doing la, 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 this, right? For themselves. They've chosen not to hear. But he's quoting Isaiah. And I think in order for us to get a full picture of what's going on here, we should look at the different times that this verse is quoted. And so in Isaiah, the situation is, Isaiah is in the temple, and he sees the seraphims. Remember this, this wonderful scene where they're, they're shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and they're just bowing before him, and then he realizes that he is a sinner and that he's undone, and the smoke, which represents the presence of God, comes into the temple, and he's fallen on his face, and a seraphim comes and places a coal on his tongue and, and purges his tongue and says, your sins are forgiven, and then Isaiah says, and then they say, well, who is going to go to the people to to bring this message? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. So that's the situation. 
here, this is what God tells him to do. After he says, hear my son me, he says, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat. The word fat is, is dull. And make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be healed. And so in this passage, he's saying, this is your job, Isaiah. You're going to bring the, the, my message to these people. But they will not understand. They will not hear. In fact, the very thing that will be used to dull, them, to dull their hearts, to shut their eyes, to close their ears, the very thing will be your preaching. And so Isaiah is the Sandman preacher. Literally, his job is to go preach the truth so that people will hear it and then become dull to it and then not listen to it and then fall asleep to it. That is his job. And Isaiah says, well, God, how long is it going to happen? And God says, well, it's going to happen until everything is desolate. The land is destroyed. The city is empty. That's how long it's going to happen. And this is, this is your ministry for the rest of your life. He is the guy who was sent to put people spiritually to sleep. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing that. <laughs> My ministry as well. Um, most of you are pretty good right now, and some of you just woke up. <laughs> so that's great. But imagine that call. I want you to go and put people to sleep. We learn in this that sometimes people hear the truth and they become dull to it. Just the fact that they heard the truth makes them more and more dull. Now we jump to the New Testament. And the first citation of this reference is in Matthew chapter 13 and is, it is after Jesus has just given the parable of the soils. He talks about the different grounds. He says there's good ground, there is the rocky ground, there is the thorny ground, and there is the the wayside or the the hardened path. It'd be like the concrete ground. And then after he gives that parable, he says, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 9, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this statement is interesting because it could be just a statement that people that have ears to hear will hear, or it could be a challenge to them to say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And so they say, well, I want to have ears to hear. I want to understand. And so, so then the disciples look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't understand. You, you just said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Why do you speak in parables? Why do you do this? And Jesus says, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. What? I mean, it kind of seems a little bit contrary to where we're, we're going so far, because so far it's been everybody else has shut their own ears and their own eyes, and now it's like, well, it's, it's given to some people, but it's not given to others. It says, for whosoever hath, so you have a little bit, sorry, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given. You, so you, you're getting it, you, you get it all. To him shall, it shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even what he has. He's saying, the, the people that have a little bit, it'll be taken away from them and given to those that have. It's interesting. And then it's after these statements that he says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. I'm speaking in parables because, just for the reason that, that they see and they don't hear, they don't get it. They don't perceive. Verse 14, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, 
By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Familiar by now, I hope. And so Jesus is saying this, and it's, it's an interesting take on this prophecy. I mean, he, he seems to indicate a couple of things here, and that is that he spoke in parables simply because the message was given to some and not to others. That Jesus was okay with taking what people had and giving it to someone else. It, it seems interesting for us to try and put these things together. But then, after he says that, he concludes with, that he spoke in parables so that the people with the gross heart would not understand. That those people that have closed their eyes and closed their ears so that they would not understand. And, and so again, he, he seems to swing back to what Paul says in Acts chapter 28, where it's like, okay, well, I'm doing it because I want the people that have closed their eyes to not get it. Okay? That they have done it. Well, then we look at the book of John. And the book of John the Apostle John is giving commentary on why the Jews just rejected the gospel, even though they saw incredible miracles. I mean, imagine, imagine seeing people get up from the dead. Imagine seeing blind people physically actually see again. People that are lame for their whole life get up and walk. If we saw these miracles, we would be amazed. And I think our response would be, okay, I believe. If you can do that kind of thing, I'll believe what you say is true. But they don't. And it's, it's so crazy, so insane that they don't. And so John gives a commentary. In John 12, 39, it says, Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. <laughs> well, what? I mean, he's, he's given the same... He's referring back to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, but this time he says that God is the one that blinded their eyes and covered their ears so that they couldn't understand. I mean, what's, what is going on here? I hope that at this point you're not thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. Why is he, like, this seems so contradictory. What's going on? I hope you're saying, this is a mystery and I want to know the answer. This is a mystery and I'm interested in it, okay? That's, that's supposed to be your, your response at this point in the sermon. All right? In Paul, in Romans chapter 11, we're not going to look there, but what he says in Romans chapter 11 is very similar to what John said. That he's trying to explain Israel's rejection of the gospel and that it is because they have been blinded. Because they have been made to not see the truth. So this is what we learn as we look at all these verses. That sometimes it seems like people close their own eyes. Sometimes people close their eyes. They, they, they decide they don't want to hear. Sometimes God closes their eyes and their ears. That's what, that's what it seems like. Sometimes they're unwilling, and sometimes they're unable. Sometimes they're spiritually rebellious, and sometimes they're spiritually dead. This is what we conclude after we look at all of these verses together. And you say, we are no further along in the debate than we were when we started. You're right. You're right. We are not. It reveals that there is a tension in Scripture. And what I'm advocating tonight is that you keep the tension. 
that you understand that there are many, many times in Scripture where people choose to reject the gospel. And there are many times in Scripture where you see that God blinds people. It is a, a hard, I mean, it's a hard thing to understand. I don't know if it's something we're ever supposed to understand. I think it's something we're, we're meant to believe. So, let me briefly share with you how I keep this tension, or maybe a scenario where I see this, this playing out. And that is this. We are, mankind is, blind. We are in the dark. We have, we have sinned against a holy, a righteous, a perfect God. We are depraved. We are evil. We are wicked. We are lost in our sin. Our flesh in itself, there is, there is no good thing. Okay? There's nothing good in ourselves. And we're lost. We're blind. We're in darkness without, without the gospel, without Christ. We are in complete darkness. And then the Holy Spirit comes and God comes and he shines this, this light for us to see. Now, it might be, seem like it's in the distance. It might be, seem like it's far off. It might be faint. But there's a light that's given. And so in the darkness, we see the light of the gospel. We see somebody presents truth. We have the Holy Spirit that does something in our heart that says, hey, listen, you should listen to this. This is God's word. This is true. This is right. Pay attention. And we choose to say, ah, oh, that's, I see the, I see some light. I'm going to walk toward that light. I'm going to, to find out the gospel. I'm going to believe what God says. Or we say, no. We say, I, I want nothing to do with it. And so we're in this, this darkness on our own. God shines a little bit of light. And then we say, I, I want that light or I want nothing to do with it. I'm closing my eyes. I'm going back to my darkness. That's where I'd rather be. And then God says, okay, if that's what you like, then I'm gone. Then the light is no more. And so then, if you want to open your eyes, well, you're unable to. It doesn't matter. Because God showed you truth. He showed you light and you said no. You rejected it. That's, this, is serious, this is serious stuff. Because I think oftentimes we just think that like, I can reject the gospel a million times. I can reject what God says a million times. And then not one time, you know, at the end of my life, when I'm just about to die, then I'll say, okay, God, now I'll, I'll let you be the Lord of my life and my Savior and whatever. I think that's what we think. That is never a picture that the Bible gives. God is a merciful God, but his mercy and his grace is so wonderful that when you were in darkness, he gave you a little bit of light. He gave you the light so you could see. He gave you something to go after. That's when you respond. You don't respond the millionth time after you've said no or wait or whatever to God, after you rejected his plan of salvation, you rejected the death of his son for your sins, then someday you say, well, maybe then I'll respond. That's not how it works. You respond to the gospel, and if you, if you don't, if you don't respond to that light, then Maybe God goes. And maybe not. I mean, maybe he gives you another opportunity. I know many of us can testify that God gave us more than one opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved. But God doesn't guarantee you endless opportunities. Someday, you do not hear the gospel anymore. You don't perceive, you don't understand, and it's because the Holy Spirit is not working on your heart like it once did. That is, I think, the answer to the question, why are people spiritually deaf and blind? This is what happened to Israel as a nation. They had been given truth over and over and over again. And finally, God says, that's enough. From henceforth, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, there are individual Jews that, be, that would be saved, and there still are being individual Jews being saved. But as a nation, they've rejected the gospel, they've rejected Christ. 
And because of the rejection, they, it seems like as a nation, they no longer see. They no longer perceive. It happened to Israel. It happened to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and so God hardened his heart. It, it, happened, it happens throughout the Bible. It, it, it's happening today. So the best way I know how to answer the question, why are spirit, people spiritually deaf and blind? It's because they choose not to reject it. To not to accept the gospel. They choose to reject the gospel. And because God has chosen not to work on them anymore. That's it. It's a deep theological topic. The truth is, it's not even something that we've met head on very often. But I think it's important. I think it's important because Isaiah brings it up, because Jesus brings it up, because John brings it up, because Paul brings it up, because it helps us understand why people reject. And But, but it's, it's important not just so you can walk out of here tonight and say, okay, well, now I get at least Dan's perspective on this issue, uh, and maybe, hopefully, you've learned something from Scripture on this issue. The, the purpose of it is so that we understand now what our job is to do. And so what I want to do as we conclude is give you two brief applications. Two brief applications. The first one is this. Respond to God. Respond to God. When he tells you something from his word, respond. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't, don't say, oh, yeah, maybe in 10 years, maybe in 15 years, I will respond. Respond to God when he shows you light. We must. Don't believe that God owes you another opportunity. He doesn't owe you that. The first opportunity was an opportunity given by his grace. So respond to that opportunity. If God has convicted you of the gospel, you ought to respond. Step toward the light. The Jews rejected it, and Paul is very clear that when the Jews rejected it, he says, okay, you've, you've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. I will now go to the Gentiles. Not, well, I'm going to work on you forever, Jews. It is, I'm going to the Gentiles. You need to respond. What if God removes the light? Now, now here's the interesting thing, because you might be sitting here and thinking, well, you want me to respond to the gospel, but you've told me already that God might have removed the light. So I might be sitting in a situation where I cannot respond to the gospel anymore. Here's the thing. If you have heard a word of what I've said tonight, if you've heard a word of what the, what, what the Bible says, if the Holy Spirit has done anything in your life tonight, do you know what that means? There is light. It mean, if you're sitting there and you'd be like, okay, the entire time I can't wait till this guy is done. This is ent- entirely boring. I don't know why I came. If you're in that situation, then, then maybe. Maybe you're that guy. But if you're wondering if the light has been removed, most likely, I would say for sure, that means God is still working. God wants you to respond. If, if you're hearing the call to respond tonight, then God is saying you should respond. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, But he gives more grace, wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Respond to God. If you are a humble if you come to God and say, God, I don't know. God, I'm a sinner. God, save me. He responds to that. He gives more grace. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you understand that the heart of God is for you to be saved? God's will is that you accept Christ as your Savior. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to die. The Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That is not what he wants. He wants you to respond to the gospel. So if you believe that the gospel is true, or even if you think that maybe this is true, I encourage you, respond. If you believe the gospel is true, put your faith and trust in Christ to save you.
If you believe the gospel is true, then repent of your sin and lean only on Christ. Listen, it's a very different thing than for you to intellectually say, I believe the gospel is true. Then it's very different from that than saying, Lord, I need you to save me. I'm a sinner. I'm, I, I know in myself there's nothing good. I'm condemned. I want you to save me. The intellectual and the heart, very different. That's so what I'm saying is respond to the gospel with your heart. Even if you know it to be true, make sure you've trusted Christ in your heart. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's God's message for you this evening. And can I tell you something? Something very similar like this can be said to a believer. I think there are times that we, we continually put off God. We continually put off doing what he's called us to do. And we're hardening our, our own hearts. I mean, we're, we're putting a callus on the Holy Spirit's work in our life. We're quenching the Spirit. And as we do that, that's a problem. When, if God has told you to do something in your life, respond to it as a believer. So number one, respond to the gospel. Number two, relay the gospel message. Do what Paul did. Share the gospel. Paul knew about what Isaiah said. He knew about how Jesus had quoted it. He, he had written it already in the book of Romans. He had this theology that we talked about down pat. I mean, he was he, the guy that wrote it, or at least a portion of it. And do you know what he did? He shared the gospel. He said, I understand that some people will reject the gospel. Some people have chosen to close their eyes. Some people will not hear. It doesn't matter. I'm going to share the gospel with them. And when they don't listen, I'll share the gospel with somebody else. And when they don't listen, I'll share the gospel with somebody else. So what are we to do then if we know this? We share the gospel. We do what Paul did. These verses ought to encourage us. Encourage us. You know, Isaiah was in a position where God said, nobody's going to listen. Everybody's going to fall asleep. Do you know what this says? This says that now the Gentiles will listen. I mean, some people will respond to the gospel, so that should encourage us to go out and say, at least I'm not Isaiah. A lot of people might reject me. A lot of people will reject the gospel. And and I should clarify, nobody's rejecting you. People are rejecting the gospel. So a lot of people might reject the gospel, but not everyone like Isaiah. And so take courage in that. Take heart in that. Go and relay the gospel message. Some people will respond as well. And can I remind you, you have the Holy Spirit to help you. You're not doing this on your own. This is a task that the church that you have been given, and it is one that you don't do in your own strength. And so relay the gospel message with people. People will say no. People will disbelieve. That's okay. That is not your job. Your job isn't to force people into belief. Your job is to give the gospel message and do it in a way like Paul that was compassionate, that was bold in his presentation, that was prepared he spoke for 12 hours about the subject. So these are things that we ought to be doing, getting ready, taking courage, being bold, getting ourselves prepared to share the gospel. This is what Paul did. Relay the gospel. Tonight's message is, is honestly a hard one. And if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you about them. But I hope that when, as we leave here tonight, even if I haven't convinced you of anything, that's okay. I hope you've decided that what you want is what the Bible says that you want to know what the Bible says and you want to believe that. And I hope that wherever you land on this issue, you understand the importance of responding to God when he convicts you. When he says something to you, you respond, you obey. And the importance of us as believers relaying the gospel to people that are unsaved. Let's pray.